The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hi everyone, Macca19 here and this is the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast live on Port Fan Radio. Bit of a change tonight for the review podcast. We are joined by Porsche. G'day, how's it going? Good, happy, good. Re- happy review day. Yay. Hey. I should happy point travels out that... to Rick out there, wherever he is at the moment. Oh, I've forgotten he even exists. Hey, yeah. I should point out that on the review thread, um, the reviews I did last year, I think we had a 100% win rate from memory. So um, here we are. As long as you keep having me here, I think that as soon as Rick comes back to replace me, we won't have our next loss. But until then, I think we're, we're plain sailing for wins, oh. wins, wins. Look at that. Sorry, Rick, <laughs> but you're boned. Sorry. <laughs> Bad luck. He's gone. He's gone. Out of sight, out of mind, I think is the expression we're looking at here. That's it. That's right. Uh, well, look, let's get straight into it and talk about our sweet and sour. One thing we found sweet, one thing we uh, found sour about Port Adelaide this week. What was your sweet? Uh, look, the sweet was that we didn't let Brisbane back in. Um, I think there was a reasonable chance that Brisbane were going to drop the head, and they did, but we also did exploit that. And Obviously, the sweet is just you know getting all those extra goals. Um, you know, Tarly Dixon getting his five, basically everyone getting a little bit more space to work in. I think it really showed with a few players in particular that they had a bit more opportunity to play their own game rather than be crowded in. And that was just really nice to see, I suppose, for the sweet. Yeah. Um, for the sour, I look, I'm just, I'm just disappointed because we are still playing a heavily loaded backline. We're playing one key forward. In the last two weeks, we've got wins, but in both of those weeks, what, the number one opponent for the key forward's been not there? Yeah. Um, it's, um, uh, it's it's nice to get the win, but you have the sour is having to remember that, oh, yeah, we've been in a very specific set of circumstances that have caused this in a lot of ways. Mm. Probably my is sour. this a false dawn? That's the question that uh, needs to be answered. But yeah. we'll get to that a little bit later on. My suite uh, for this week is I'm happy for the second week in a row we've had really great run from the back line, which I guess ties into your sour a little mm. bit. We've had plenty of overlap, um, and we've really taken the game on, and it's I guess it's reminiscent to how we were playing a couple of years ago. Uh, it is a bit of a noted shift in how we're playing, um, and for me it's oh. a welcome one from uh, from how we were trying to play at the start of the season. Honestly, I'm not convinced it actually is a significant shift in terms of the strategy. Um, so... I think there was a question on the thread about this podcast that, um, you know, we get Jonas back on now that the things have changed. But I don't think they have changed. We've just changed the personnel. And that's changed the ability to actually uh, use do the game plan to the extent that we have done. But, yeah, it's good to change it up a bit. Obviously, change in ruck is huge. But, yeah, I don't know. Mm. I don't think we've changed it much. Yeah, that's fair enough. Uh, my sour this week is uh, Frampton getting injured Again in the SANFL. Oh, did he? I'm not sure how long he's out for, but he did sort of hobble off the ground in uh, in agony. Looked like a, a bit of a an ankle injury or something like that. So it would just be nice for him to get a bit of a decent run at it for you know, eight to ten weeks and, and just see how he starts to develop. Honestly, you'd have to say that right now that the gods could not have come up with a more plain and undeniable reason to point at the AFL and say, you should have given us top-ups. <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, We should have drafted another Ruckman. <laughs> well, yeah, the, yes, that's obviously, the, that's obviously the main one that we actually can control. But, you know, really, the AFL sort of say, oh, no, you don't need top-ups. Like, well, we, we obviously do. We're at the situation now where we're absolutely not playing a, a, a pure Ruckman in a Ruck. Yeah. Um, and it's on them. If we have a bad season, it's on them. <laughs> I can just tell that uh, one of our favourite um, forumites in uh, Russell Ebert handball was just sitting there going, oh, I knew this would happen. It's happening. We're just stuffed. <laughs> he's been banging on about um, you know drafting multiple Ruckman uh, for probably six or seven years now. And you've got to say it's, yep. uh, it's definitely something that should have happened. I'm not sure who was available that we could have really gotten uh, that would have made any sort of difference this year um, uh, with our draft picks, but you know, there's been other years where another toll would have been uh, would have been the way to go. I think. Yeah, and I think the other thing to consider is that you've got to target Ruckman when they're still in that developing stage if you want to get them from another club as well. Like someone like Max Gorn, you know, three years ago, yeah, we probably could have got him fairly cheap because he was not anywhere near what he is now. 
Um, and maybe the Ds wouldn't have wanted to trade him, but maybe they would have because they had a terrible year. You know, you never know. You can target young rucks at other clubs and then make them what they, you need them to be after they've shown that little bit of AFL potential. But and, and of course, you draft them, and yeah, absolutely, it's a huge concern. You know, um, when you don't have a full complement of players that you're happy to say can absolutely play a position, then you have to overload in recruiting that player until you can say that you do. Yeah. You know, that's why we have had periods in the past where we have drafted heaps of flankers, and it's been the right thing to do. Mm. Because we listed, for example, a bunch of flankers, and I think the 2006 draft is probably the best example of that one, yeah. where we sort of we were all saying, "Oh, draft tools," and we just sort of noticed a couple of days before the draft. Actually, we probably should draft flankers because look at those delistings. Um, and it's the same thing with rucks. We've just been we've been travelling light on rucks for years now, and it's just finally all come home to roost at once. Which mm, I think that uh, REH actually asked a question on the podcast thread about whether we are being driven to innovation by injury and I think that's probably something we should discuss a bit later on. Yeah. Um, Bevan has said uh, we should have drafted one three years ago in the chat and I've got to say that's possibly a fair point. I mean, we have still been drafting Ruckman since Loby got drafted. I think we've drafted eight players who predominantly played in the Ruck. Um, they just haven't been all that good um, at developing. So that's probably the main issue there. I mean, Jared Redden was obviously the big so yeah, the big hope. He was the one that uh, that clearly showed a lot of talent. Had played some really, really good footy in the SANFL. Had shown uh, a little bit of potential at AFL level, but his body just didn't hold up. So he's the one that that I guess we were really sort of hoping would would come on and uh, and develop into um, you know another sort of viable ruck choice. Who are the others? Uh, well, look, I think you can probably point at Daniel Stewart. You can point at Mitch oh, Kerno, no. um Jonathan oh, Giles. Giles, yes. Hugh Minson. Um, was, he, was he after Lobby? Uh, might have been the year before, actually. Yeah, yeah I think the same um, with that, because Giles and Minson were the same draft from memory as well. Yeah. Look, we traded for Brent Renouf. You know, we traded for Ryder. <laughs> so there's, there's, we've certainly made an effort to, uh, to oh. pick Ruckman, to get Ruckman into the club. They just haven't been... Um, of the standard that we really wanted, I guess. I feel like we could have committed more, um, but obviously we didn't, so there we are. Yeah. Although there's probably been occasions where we have uh, could have drafted someone, but uh, chose not to. I guess Rory Lobbs, the uh, the obvious one at the moment, who went a couple of picks after Impey, um, and he's looking uh, pretty sweet at the moment. But, um, you know, I've still got holdout hope for, uh, for Impey to turn um, his career around into something pretty special. Yeah, I guess we can hope for that. <laughs> mm. That's it. Well, let's uh, move on. And uh, what was your WTF moment oh, look, for this week? It's, re- it's a really, really obvious one that I think everyone listening will go, yep, that's it, which is Jared Pollock kicking 40 metres backwards and it being coming a turnover. <laughs> what was that all about? Mm. <laughs> Uh, that was my, my WTF because there's no, like, we know, because Ken Hinckley said it in the past pretty much, that kicking directly backwards, it's not our game plan. That's not the way we play. And I just I just don't understand what he was trying to do. Like, even a 40-metre yeah. kick forward to a turnover would have been better because at least we could have had the opportunity to set up for a, a terrible kick. But yeah. what he did, oh, that was, that was my WTF, absolutely my WTF for the week. Yeah, that was pretty bad. That was pretty bad. Mm. There was a couple of sort of WTF moments in, uh, in our game, but... Um... I guess mine for this weekend was uh, I thought the result of the Dogs Adelaide game was pretty hilarious, but um, <laughs> Troy Panel handing out seventeen free kicks to one <laughs> in the Dogs game is just one of the most extraordinary stats I've ever seen. I think seventeen to one by one umpire is just extraordinary. Yeah. I mean, I would be interested to see if that's the biggest one-way free kick discrepancy by a single umpire recorded. It would have to be, surely. I think Richard Williams probably did that against us a few times in the past, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I reckon that, uh, that uh, yeah, that's one of those situations where you'd like to know what his mental process was. I mean, mm. he has to have realised he did it, right? Like, he has to he has to know he was calling so many frees one way and then, then only been one the other. Like, you'd have, even if he said, thought it was more you like... You would certainly know. Even if you thought it was more like 8 and 2 or, you know, 12 yeah. and 4 or something like that, you'd have to know that it was way out of whack and have a think about it. But also, to be fair, watching that game, the Crows were really clumsy a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely. Of course um, they were. Scott yeah. Thompson has a habit of sort of uh, giving p- uh, players clotheslines, and he did about six of them on the weekend. So yeah. I'm not sure, 
Yeah, I don't know. Maybe there was a bit of discrepancy in terms of the ones that weren't going the other way. But I certainly thought that um, a lot of the free kicks that the dogs got were there. And I yeah. guess the thing that um, that makes this whole sort of gnashing of teeth over this uh, particular stat uh, a little bit of a moot point was the fact that Adelaide actually outscored the dogs from free kick chains. So it mm. made no lick of difference at all to the end result of the game. Yeah, no, look, um, I think that really what it comes down to and the reason for that sort of free-kick discrepancy when you look at the way the two teams play is that they do play very differently and that the Bulldogs play much more about having secure disposal. So they don't get into it. They don't try and create as many contests as the Crows do. They're more about the intercept mark rather than the bring it to ground and try and do something, <clears throat> um, in my in my view anyway. Uh, so I think that you're always going to see free-kicks favour the side that doesn't have to initiate the contest quite so much. Absolutely. We've got some uh, questions from the forum again. Um, mm. uh, I thought we got some decent ones this week as well. Yeah. Um, Portmanteau, who, uh, who is the host of the great uh, Game Day podcast, has asked, um, what does our best 22 look like after these recent wins? Um, who makes way f- um, for returning injured players? And who are those will struggle to get back in? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because... It really depends on what the coaches have decided they want to do with the first 22. Like mm. at the start of the year, we know what our first 22 was, right? It's Schultz and Dixon in the forward line, yeah. maybe about seven halfback flankers, and the rest are going to be midfielders and forwards, right? Yeah. With, met with one or two rucks. But our injury list has dictated that we change massively from that, and we're playing similarly to how we have before. The coaches are under the pump from fans. Do they pretty much stick with the same layout that we've currently got in terms of our sides balance? It was what worked at the end of last year as well. Mm. Um, it's a good question. Um, it's a very good question. I think um, let's go through them one by one because there's four players, yeah. I guess, that, that uh, I guess you'd call key players that are to come back into the side at some point. I guess the obvious one is Robbie Gray. Mm. So who makes way for Robbie Gray at the moment, you think? Well, look, honestly, anyone makes way for Robbie Gray. Mm. Um, that's not even like, – for me, that's not even the sort of question because, like, he's in your first team no matter what your configuration yeah, is, right? Absolutely. So uh, probably whoever the worst player is on form that week. Um, probably not me. Probably not Jake Need this week, but it potentially no. could be. Um, could be one of the halfback flankers, you know. Um, it could but, literally be anybody. It could be Cracker. It could be Impey. It could be Archie. It could be Tompus. could be Need. could be Tompus. It could be Stewart. could be anybody. I'd be surprised if it was Cracker, but any of the other, any of the others, I think, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I guess the other key player which is important to our structure, or has been in the mm-hmm. past anyway, is Bobby Carlisle. Yeah, that's the big one, isn't it? Mm. So this is probably the the real sort of 50-50 one, I guess you'd say. We, we have looked good with uh, Stuart and O'Shea in the side. Um, are we still playing a bit of an undersized defence? I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, but does Bobby Carlisle fit into um, how we want to play at the moment? This is one of the ones that will really show how our coaches are thinking. Um, the reality is that if you do decide, okay, we're going to stop overloading the defence quite so much because it doesn't tend to hold up against the better sides, then you need people that are big and tall that can take the tall forwards for the opposition on, um, in which case Bobby Carlisle's back in. So I think that's kind of a linked thing in that Carlisle's own form is probably not entirely relevant to it, uh, except in as far as if he's bad, then it'll make the coach's decision easier to not use him. Yeah. But the, it really comes down to whether the coaches think that they want to stick with what they've seen the last couple of weeks or if they want to go back to the plan they had at the start of the year in terms of the personnel on the field. Mm. I think Carlisle does fit the structure that we want to play. and mm. He does like a bit of a run and a gallop, so it's not like he's just a Dow defender in the sort of Pressy Como mode or, or Dale Morris or anyone like that. He does actually like to get on his horse a little bit and run up the field. Um, but he'd be the among structure the... at the moment. Oh, I mean, it's well, it's hard to say. I mean, I think if we're playing Carlisle, I just don't think we can play someone like Jonas. Yeah, well, that's really it, isn't it? Um, so you're saying that Carlisle fits the structure, and I can see that he kind of does, but the value of having a shutdown defender is that a shutdown defender can take down one player with not heaps of help. Mm. Uh, and if you've got an overloaded fence, well, you've got heaps of help, right, theory. If you're playing as a team, you've got heaps of help. So the actual value of Carlisle as a part of that unit is reduced because it becomes, okay, well, you can stop a player, but we're kind of doing that. 
as a team. So you need yep. to be able to do the other things, in which case he probably needs to have a really good disposal, he needs to have really good pace, and he needs to have really good decision-making. And he's okay on all those three, but you wouldn't say he was in the top six or seven of our players in any of them. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Does he become a horses-for-courses player now? in terms that we bring him out when we're about to play teams who have sort of three genuine toll forwards like, say, North Melbourne. Yeah, if we're playing you know, North Melbourne on the MCG on a rainy Sunday or something, yeah, for sure he's in, um, right? I think that's one of those cases where it, it, he might be a weather player. Um, we've done that before, I think. I can't recall who it was with, but um, he might be a wet weather player. So when we know it's going to rain, yeah, okay, we might bring him in. I think Tom Logan copped a bit of that in the past as well, yeah. where he'd come in for a rainy day. Um yeah, but I mean, there's no doubt that he's at the tail of his career, um, really at all. I think that oh, he might be on his last year, who knows? But mm. in part of that comes down to, you know, if Tom Cleary's going to be okay to play as well. Yeah, well, that's what I was just about to mention is if we don't play Carlisle, do we play Cleary? I think he probably fits what we're trying to do better. And he's in terms of um, giving ourselves a good cross-section of defenders so that we have a, a what is it called, a lineage of defenders cycling through the side. He's the one we should really be favouring at this point because we've got Jackson Trengove, if he's defending. Um, we've got Jackson Trengove at the older end of the bracket. We've got Homsch and Jonas in the middle. And so you need a young one coming through to replace Trengove slash Carlisle when they go. So you, if we're going to keep in mind the way that we can actually take advantage of having the experience in the side and pass it down the generations, then Cleary probably should be in the side if we're serious. Yeah. Um, in my view. Got a few uh, responses from the chat. Matt Lane has said uh, he's not keen on Carlisle at all. He uh, seriously needs to be playing damn good footy to come back in. Uh, Christopher Hale has said uh, Carlisle only in if uh, playing big fat forwards, um, but it's not 1997 anymore. Mm. Uh, and Dylan has said that he loves Bobby and uh, REH has, uh, has him hyped over his potential to take a run and bounce and bowl over some noob Carlton kid like a Fijian rugby player. I think that if Carlisle's going to become that player, he's going to have to do what Plugger did when he lost all that weight and do that pretty much. Um, If you recall, after Plugger retired, he had that year off order it was and came back and he was a completely different looking player. Mm. Um, Couldn't play the same role, but if Carlisle did that and came back, you know, as a genuine runner, um, yeah, he could potentially do that. But we're getting at that tail end of the career where you sort of think, is it really worth it for the club to invest that sort of time and effort into getting one or two years out of that player in that kind of role? Yeah. And uh, Dylan has also said that uh, Carlisle did pull the pants down of the athletic uh, Jared Ruffhead last year. And uh, we should yeah. not forget that. Yeah, that's fair. I'm um, just also back on the Carlisle thing. I think that if he wants that, then Jarman Impey is, I reckon, probably our most capable of doing that role he's talking about right now. Mm. In my view. Yep. Uh, next one is Matty White. Does Is he guaranteed a spot back in the side when he's fit? When he's fit, I think he comes in immediately. Um, and I think he probably would play someone like Brendan Archie, who I still am finding very up and down this season, um, yep. unless, of course, he finds form in the meantime. But, mm. look, there's no doubt the value of having those multiple um, attacking uh, midfielders, wingmen, I suppose, in Polek and White. We've really suffered for having both of them out in the past and having them both in and in form makes us a better side. I, I yep. think it would be really hard to deny that. So he's an instant in for me and we just drop whoever's the least performing flanker on the day. Yep, that's fair enough. Um, and I guess the the other big one is Jay Schultz, who we haven't really replaced since he uh, went out of the side in round one. I want him in, but I don't. I don't know. Where does he fit? I've I've struggled with this one as well. I've got him coming in for Archie at the moment, but that's uh, neither here nor there. I don't think. No. Um, in the end, he's going to have to come in for one of those sort of flankers. You would think. Yeah, pretty much. Um, the only player I could think that he could come in for would be if Aaron Young lost form. Because, like, yep. you know, that's the only thing I could think of. Even, even then I wouldn't be very happy about it. Um, I think the problem with Schultz is that, that we don't know how he'll work with Dixon. It'll, um, it will disturb how our forward line sets up because we've just gone back to a basic Dixon for Schultz swap in terms of how our forward line is, which is really easy for the team to get behind. And then if we bring in the, the two key, key position forward, set up again, then how are we going to adjust to that? Are we going to adjust to it? Is it going to cost us wins in the meantime? What's going to happen with the club? Are the players going to hang their heads? Is there going to be a player revolt? Are the coaches all going to get sacked? And are we going to end up at the bottom of the ladder? You know, that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the whole thing. That's what they're talking about every week in the coaches panel in this sort of year. Um, yeah. You know, not in words, but certainly in terms of how they're thinking and acting. I hope they're not. This is really the worst part about when you lose a little faith in your coach in that, 
like the knives, you just you don't have them out, but you make sure you know where they are, and everyone knows it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it can make short term decisions, which I think we saw with Choco for the last three or four years of his contracts with us. Yeah, um, I guess yeah. the question is, we would have trained all preseason to have all three of Dixon, Westhoff, and Schultz in the side. Mm. It did work pretty well in round one. Uh, Schultz yeah. and Dixon kicked four goals between them. Westhoff had a pretty good game as well. Um, you would think when Schultz is fit, if he does get fit again, um, has a couple of games in the SANFL, he should come straight back in. You would think that would happen. Uh, I guess if I was going to make it an, 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 an if then decision, I'd be saying that if we don't bring Schultz in when he's fit, that means we should not have faith in the coaches because they're going with the most pragmatic plan for the day that they know can not get smashed. Mm. If they do bring him in, it means they have faith in the original game plan they have in place uh, and that they are insistent, they want to make a balanced side, even if it means there might be a short-term cost due to you know the team having to work out what to do, that sort of things. Yeah. I've got a lot more respect for that second option myself, but I know a lot of people wouldn't. They'll just look at the win and loss rate and make the decision on that. Yeah. Um, so it's a tough call. How do you do that? And if they do the second one, then you've also got to have the media manage it, and that means probably KT speaking more, all that kind of thing, and making sure that we don't have all of our supporters lose their heads. Yep. Basically. No, very true. And I guess the other one who is the elephant in the room, and I guess we'll talk about uh, in a bit more detail a little bit later, is uh, Matty Lobby. Yeah, yeah. Matthew Lobby, right? Um, I don't think he plays support again, honestly. Wow, that's a big call. I can't... Yeah, well, it, may, look, it might be a big call, but I don't think it is. Like, he hasn't offered enough. And we talk about a game in which Trango is not winning hitouts. So yeah, he got a lot of clearances. But what does Lobby offer that isn't a tap, you know? Mm. Um, we even had a query during the game. I remember on game day saying, hey, we're giving away less ruck-free kicks than usual and getting more. What's that all about? And Lobby always plays from behind, which means you're always going to be more likely to infringe because you're not the player in front and you're less likely to get the free because it's harder to actually knock you out of the contest with it looking unfair. Um, yeah. And then there's the, just his general field play is atrocious. Realistically, he'd be he'd be the in the, he'd be in the worst four in the team every week in terms of his general field play. Um, I don't think he plays support again. Honestly, okay. I really don't. Yeah, that's it. I've got to say that is a huge call. Mm. Now that's a huge call. No, no matter what way you look at it, he's a he's one of the um, he's part of the leadership group. Mm. It's a big call to say that he won't play for Port again. I reckon uh, it could be true. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, uh, that's thrown me a little bit. I wasn't expecting that. But, um, I guess we'll have to wait and see. I think I think he's going to play for Port again um, when he's fit. We're going to want to play Trengove down back. Unless Trengove absolutely starts to dominate, um, I think we're going to want to play Lobie in the ruck again and move Trengove down back. Um, again, that might be dependent on whether Carlisle gets fit. I guess the other um, thing to talk about here is that um, we've just added three more tolls to the side. If we do bring back Carlo and Schultz and Loby, that's three extra tolls in the side. Mm. Is that going to th- completely throw out the balance that we've seen the last well, few weeks? Well, it depends on if you play one of those tolls in ruck at any given time, doesn't it? Mm. That's, that's you know, if you add all those and Loby, there's underperforming midfield skills. Ah, <laughs> don't know. And look, if we talk about how well Jackson Trengove did on the weekend, um, part of it is probably just because we set up to lose the tap. Um, and I think that probably helps us for one or two games, but then our position teams will get used to it. Yeah. But we didn't have any... talk ex- about that in a bit more yeah. detail a little bit right, later cool. on. We'll, we'll go into detail about um, what happened out there in, in terms of the ruck uh, a little yeah. bit later on. But I guess that's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to see how we're going to fit these players come back in. I guess... Um, you could view it as a positive. It's good to have depth, um, and hopefully we maintain um, a lot of these players in good form uh, that might uh, end up coming out of the side. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, Robbie Gray is the only sort of definite to come back in, I would think. Yeah, Robbie Gray, and I personally think Matty White is definite to come back in. I think he'd have to actually have have an actual form drop for him to not come straight back in. Yeah. Does he do enough to become that sort of 100% guaranteed first 22 player? I'd say he's 90% just because, not necessarily even because of his 
personal form or excellence, but because he plays a role that we desperately need, realistically. Yeah. Um, he's just been very important. I suppose there is a possibility that if MP keeps playing in that role he's been playing the last couple of weeks, that he might be able to fill that kind of role for us. That would be nice, yeah. just to give us more versatility there. But otherwise, yeah, white all the way, I think, personally. Okay. We've had some interesting talks on the on the chat forum. Uh, Stockholm has agreed with you 100%. Loby is completely redundant at this point. Matt Lane has said uh, he thinks in theory you are correct, but I think Ken will play him. Yeah, I, I think uh, I do too. Christopher Hale has said Porsche's colder. End of Loby, put out your cups of tea. Uh, Stockholm. I'm pouring said, one now. <laughs> Stockholm. Oh, I've just lost it. Sorry. Uh, we get back. There we go. Stockholm has said, um, well, he better not if we get to uh, round 18 and are playing fantastic football and Ken just gifts him um, a spot in the side, totally jeopardising our season. I will lose my faith then. Uh, Stu Hawes has said uh, he probably shouldn't, but I think Ken will play Loby as number one ruck when he's fit. Uh, Stockholm has said, will Loby play again? Probably. Should he? No. Yeah, look, I mean, it comes down to what you want to treat the rest of the season as, and again, it comes down to managing supporter expectations so there's not a riot. No. Um, but if we use this year, if we say, okay, Lobby's not coming back, you know, not officially, we don't tell Lobby, you're not coming back, you know, but if, if the club decides Lobby's not going to play again this year, then maybe we use this as a year for the squad to become used to mobile ruckmen that get more involved in the midfield because we know that when Ryder's back, he can do that and we can recruit players that can be more mobile ruckmen than we've necessarily had in the past. You know, go back to someone like a Brendan Laid or whatever else, just having that versatility. Um, that becomes a, a list management move at that point, and then that, I suppose that gives you know guys like Cripper his uh, orders on what he needs to be looking for and who he needs to be talking to as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I, think that, I think that could happen. But then we might get exposed when we go up against Genuine Ruckman. Um, Trengove, again, he's had a great week, and we'll talk about that later. Yeah. No, that's a good question by Portmanteau. It's, mm. uh, it's created a lot of response there, so good work. Yeah. Um, Jonts has uh, asked the question, is that now the bar from Trengove? Can we expect that every week? If not, no. what is the bar? I don't think we can expect it every week, uh, in part because this one was really against a team that, couldn't reasonably expect it or plan for it to the 100% degree because it was a change that we only obviously made, you know, a day before the game or with the final. Because in the first 22, we still had, uh, sorry, in the first 25, whatever it was, we still had Dougal Howard and people might have presumed he'd be the Ruckman. Um, And there's only so often you can set up for your midfield to lose without the opposition also setting up as if they're going to win every every tap and not having a bit of an each-way bet. So I, I think that... Yeah, I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll necessarily. I think it'll be really unlikely that he'll get the same sort of result as he did this week, particularly given that he got a lot of clearances, but he didn't do great on the taps. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think he'd be he'd be really challenged to do the same thing, but I'd still have that as better than a lobby performance. Yep, fair. Uh, Bevan wants to know what sort of tea you're drinking. Um, it's a T two one, but it's actually a combination because it works better, which is um. T2's New York breakfast and T2's Melbourne breakfast. I usually mix a bit of both. And the reason for that is the New York breakfast smells fantastic, but the flavour's not really there when you drink it. Whereas the Melbourne breakfast tea is really quite earthy. It smells nice, but then you get that lingering flavour. So I usually like to mix those two together. It um, it comes up a treat and it's really nice. Okay. That's mm. good. I like that. Um, has also asked, uh, how long will that be the lowest crowd at Adelaide Oval? Well... That depends, doesn't it, on mm. what the coaches do for the rest of the year and how rainy it is on those Sunday games. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I think looking at our fixture for the rest of the year, on face value, I would think that will be the lowest game, uh, mm. the lowest crowd for the year. Uh, but you just never know. I mean, if we end up losing five, six, seven games on the trot, then some of those sort of games at the back end of the season, uh, we might struggle to get a bit of a crowd, especially if it's wet, uh, if it's super cold, you never know. Yeah, um, let's see, I'll have a quick look. I kind of think Port versus Melbourne in round 21 might be the lower one. Yeah. Yeah. But that's a night game, isn't it? It's a Saturday night game, yeah. So, yeah, maybe, yeah, okay, this could be the lowest for the year, you're right, absolutely. Uh, Mm. He's also asked the great question, uh, tomato sauce in the fridge or the pantry? Look, um, I'm a fan of the pantry. Um, 
I have actually have a similar policy for butter, which is if it's not 30 degrees, I like to keep the butter on the counter um, because out of the fridge it's always too hard. So I usually use the same policy for sauce and butter. Fair enough. Yep. I'm certainly a pantry man myself. Uh, mm. I don't know. Cold sauce on hot uh, chips or hot sausages or whatever. Don't know about that. I like the whole uh, temperature control thing with uh, with food and sort of hot and cold sort of mixing together, but I don't think it works overly well with sauce, in my opinion. Uh, in my view, if I'm having sauce and it's 30, 30 degrees, then it means it's a Fritz and sauce sandwich, in which case the temperature doesn't matter. Yeah, that's it. We've had a lot of uh, a lot of good <laughs> chats uh, about this on the chat. Uh, Stockholm has said, what am I listening to right now? And what you're listening to is a discussion about tomato sauce. Pretty much. So there we go. Uh, right. Next question is uh, from REH. If Lobie didn't get injured last week and played a great game in the SANFL, would Kenny have had the guts to go with Jacko in the ruck and leave Lobie out? That's the big one, isn't it? That's the one. I would say definitely not. I if, think... If Lobie had a big game in the SANFL last week, he would have come straight back in. Mm, and I think this is where we have had in the not-so-distant past comparisons between Hinkley's love for players and Choco's love for players. And this reminds me, this question reminds me of that Choco era where we didn't have players getting senior games because Eli had his favourites. And the only way, if you're a young player at Port Adelaide, the only way you'd get a game was to wish that someone that played a similar position to you got injured because otherwise you'd have no show. You know, we had a generation of players that we drafted all go to different clubs because they weren't getting the opportunities because we only made changes, not on form, because we carried players a lot, but we only made that change when it was an injury. Mm. And so I agree. I think Lobby would have come straight back in. We wouldn't have seen what we can do without him in the side. Um, I think we've already established that Lobby is a Hinkley favourite, and I kind of feel personally like we're well past the point where that should be a factor. Yep, that's a fair call. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think he would have definitely come back. Even if he didn't have a great game, I think he still would have come back in next uh, this week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I reckon if he'd you know, just played the whole game. and He would have been one yeah. and done in the SNFL. They would have brought him back in. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. would have been interesting to see. Yeah, very much. Mm. Uh, right. Let's, uh, let's go straight into our review, I guess. Um, 32,000 right. people. Saw Port hand Brisbane a bit of a hiding on Sunday night, winning 21 goals 10 to 7 goals 17. Uh, it was a bit of a sluggish start, but uh, Port kicked 14 of the last 16 goals of the game, with uh, Charlie Dixon delivering his first uh, bit of a bag for the club with five goals. Uh, Chatty Wingo, Justin Westhoff, and uh, Aaron Young all kicked three goals each as well. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of a quick rundown about what uh, what occurred out there on Sunday night? Look, it was um, one of those games that, in my view, and it's probably going to end me some, you know, dislikes, but um, my view, this, watching this game is one of those ones that tells you whether someone's in tune with Port Adelaide or not. Um, personally, I felt like two minutes in, we had this one. Uh, that first goal in the first quarter um, where we had that uh, clean tap from Trengove, that Treadray-esque receive and pass on from Charlie Dixon, like that for me, that was pretty much, oh, yeah, unless I see something awful in the next couple of minutes, we've got this one. Yep. Um, because we obviously were more focused than Brisbane, we had more to play for, I think, um, and what Brisbane were doing. They were doing things that we've seen opposition sides do against us with success in the past, but they just didn't re- – they were not reliable. They were not consistent. Um, and so you could see that it was going to be a win, in my view, early, even though at the end of the first quarter and part through the second, maybe you might have looked a bit more in contention than that. Uh, obviously, in the second half, I think Brisbane dropped their bundle completely and we absolutely seized advantage. And, of course, we did cause that um, with our press, which uh, against a side like Brisbane is exactly the sort of team that you would expect to thrash with a, a well-executed press, which our team selected is pretty much ideal to do because it's you know a lot of pacey flankers that can move quickly and fill the gaps and all that sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it, um, I think it was one of the ones where the seeds were set really early on and if you didn't get on at quarter time um, for a port win, then maybe you should think about that next time. Yeah. No, I was still uh, feeling pretty confident at quarter time. I think it was just a matter of getting our midfield structures right. Um, mm. I think um, uh, Martin had something like eight hitouts to advantage in that yep. first quarter, which was uh, pretty high up there as far as that stat goes. Um, and their midfield was finding a lot of space um, to use the ball. I think a lot of their sort of goals in the first quarter did come about from sort of bad poor errors as opposed yeah. to our sort of bad structure. Yeah. So it was just a matter of not um, g- 
giving up the ball in ludicrous situations, like a couple of players did. Yeah. Um, and we would have uh, fixed those errors, which is uh, exactly what we did. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, it was really... This was a coaching win, I'm going to say it. So good good yeah. kick to the coaches. Yeah. They stuck with their plan. They had the players ready to execute. And the players did their bit. They were not amazing. We obviously did make some mistakes. Um, yeah. But, you know, they're certainly more focused. And I think that hopefully, hopefully, hopefully what the players get out of this one is that they can see that the plan works yeah. and that they come to have a bit of confidence in the plan. I think I think that's the main thing we could hopefully take out of this um, and then build on that in the future. But, yeah, no, it's, I think it was pretty solid. No, it was a good win, and look, we don't often win by a lot. So uh, in the last few years, so it's good to um, mm. good to see us have a, a big win like that. Um, hasn't happened all that often. Yeah, and not just to have the big win, but also hold Brisbane to a very low score. Um, what seven goals, seventeen, which is atrocious kicking, obviously. Yeah. Um, but also, when you have those big disparities, but also the uh, opposition team doesn't kick a lot. That's really a lot better for your percentage than if you both kick heaps. Right, let's get down to business and talk about this ruck issue. Jackson Trengove had uh, 13 clearances, which is the second highest recorded by Port Ruckman since that stat has been recorded. How did we see his game on the weekend? Really solid. He had a crack every time, I think, because he uh, obviously had to... Obviously, I think part of it is that he was coming back from suspension, knew he'd made a stupid mistake that probably could have cost us last week. Uh, and he came back having to prove himself as, you know, being actually a leader of the club, being able to ruck, um, being someone relied on when there's obviously no one else that could play the role that he was playing at the time. Um, he had everything on his head and honestly, he stood up. You've got to give him credit for that, you know. He stood up under the pressure and that that's certainly a good thing to see. You do see players with a lot on them that, that don't sometimes. Um, and I think there's probably a few Richmond midfielders in that category. But yeah. um, absolutely, I think he played brilliantly. Uh, I don't think we can expect it to happen again, though, um, not unless we're up against a team that equally is ruck-troubled um, because they've seen the trick now. <laughs> really? Yeah, look, I thought he played really well. We've obviously seen him have these sorts of games in the past where he's pinched, uh, pinch-hitted in the ruck. I guess that's the mm. terminology you use. Pinch-hit. Um, Pinch-hit, yep. Yeah. Um, but 13 clearances, I mean, that's just bloody ridiculous. I mean, what are you doing, Jacko? That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's the stat of a maniac right there. He was fantastic. And, and basically what we've seen him do in sort of five to ten minute periods, he did pretty much for the whole game, which was great to see. It was that sort of uh, maniac sort of attack at the ball. He followed up his work. He just booted the thing forward, which um, we don't, <laughs> I guess, see a lot of this day, in this day and age. But um, I thought it was great to see. I actually think he's. Uh, I think he had 25 touches on the weekend, which is the equal highest ever recorded by Port Port Ruckman as well. So mm. he had a, a lot to do this uh, this game. I guess the question I've got, um, which I've already sort of touched on, is can he do this again? I'm not too sure. Um, what happens when we face teams that do sort of set up for this? I'm not too sure. Uh, I guess the big point I've got is the last two weeks under Howard and Trengove, we are minus 74 in hitouts, which is a massive discrepancy. Um, in the same two games, we are plus 12 in clearances. Um, so what does that say? Are raw hitout stats the most pointless stat in the AFL, or can we read something into that? I think they've always been fairly pointless, um, and I'm going to use an example of Aaron Sandilands which is that for the first five years, I reckon, of his career, when he was winning hit-out stats, you knew that Freo weren't getting much out of it. He was not a good ruckman at that point. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until, you know, he actually hit his football prime that he was actually, he was getting those stats and they were actually good. They were going to advantage. And we've seen with Lobby for years now that he can win hit-outs and you think, oh, that was pretty ordinary, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, hit-outs are okay, but if you don't have the midfield ready to capitalise on it, and more importantly, if your Ruckman doesn't know or doesn't have the capacity to hit it where you need it to go, um, then there's no point. I mean, we've seen, again, Brendan Laid, a classic one. Brendan Laid was an absolute legend for letting the opposition Ruckman hit, get the tap. Like, he was in position where he could have got the tap, but the opposition Ruckman was going to hit it to somewhere that Laid had already recognised was going to be better, okay for Port, and he'd let him get it. You could see him do it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's always been a bit of a rubbish stat. Um, it can mean that if you have two teams against each other that are both fairly dependent on ruck clearances for midfield wins, um, yeah, absolutely, that's a, a really useful telling stat. But we're not dependent on it. We haven't been dependent on it for a while now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think that 
in, if you know you've got a team that isn't dependent on hitouts, then it's really just not as relevant as it could be. So what's changed the last two weeks? We've played to a losing ruck all year under Lobie and most of last year as well. So what's been the difference? Has our midfield only just now become accustomed to playing to a losing ruck? Has it been the level of the opposition and their inability to, um, I guess, capitalise on their ruck dominance? Um, or is it something in particular that we've done the last couple of weeks that Lobie just hasn't been able to do? I believe that part of it is that when we had Lobby as our main ruckman, we still kind of believe he's going to win the tap, and so we don't set up to the same extent expecting to lose, um, which is good because and I think that's a huge part of it. Obviously, with Dougal Howard in the ruck, I don't think any of the midfielders will be thinking, oh, Dougal's going to get this one. Yeah. Jackson Tringo are doing the same. They might have thought it a bit, but I don't think they would have all been like dedicated to, oh, yeah, you know, Jacko's going to get this one. And he got a few, and he did well, but yeah. I think it's just partially that we knew that it would down in ruck. Uh, and the midfield may be lifted as well. Mm. Um, but also we've played against two sides that are not fantastic at the moment. Yeah, look, I mean, Richmond's midfield were, was super disappointing last week. And mm. I guess you've got to say outside of Dane Beans, um, Brisbane's was pretty similar. I mean, Daniel mm. Rich didn't do much. Mitch Robinson barely touched the ball. Pierce Hanley had probably his least effective game in about two or three years. Um, you know, they were pretty disappointing in there as well. Yeah, and look, I mean, I think that if you're looking forward to this coming weekend, Carlton's probably a team that's on a bit of a high right now. They're full of confidence, um, and I think that they've seen our form and seen that we can be a bit up and down, and they know they smack beat us last year. Yeah. Uh, I think that'll be a really good challenge to see how we cope with that ruck situation. Well, I think we'll, look, this is the week we'll see it more than any other, although West Coast Eagles could really hammer that home the week following. I guess the big question and one that we've sort of touched on is, is this at all sustainable, to lose the hitouts by that much? every week you know is this a bit of a false dawn in that we've played those two sort of underperforming midfields the last couple of weeks um is there going to be a game in the next few weeks where i guess similar to the famous sort of sam jacobs lobie match from a few years ago where having that many hitouts will actually be of advantage and we're going to get absolutely spanked yeah look absolutely there is a possibility that, that will be the case that, that we'll lose those hitouts um and get absolutely spanked uh, partially that's going to come down to our defensive setups as well. Um, so if they if they just bang it forward, for example, and we don't have our defensive line ready to go, um, then we, we can get caught out really quickly. There's no doubt about that. If we get a dominant Ruckman that can win the tap regardless of Tringo doing what he's doing, um, then, yeah, we can absolutely be punished for it. There's no doubt about it at all. Yep. Um, you know, even even the great Steve McKay at Collingwood got pants sometimes <laughs> in his negating role. So, uh, you know, mm. it's going to happen for sure. Um, right, some individual players. Uh, Travis Boke and Ollie Wines, I thought, played their two best games for the year. Um, yep. How did you see their performance? Um, Travis Boke I was pretty happy with. Uh, he's having a tough time, there's no doubt about it. And I have to say Ollie Wines is as well. Um, hopefully it's just that it's a learning year for them. <laughs> you know, I, I think that hopefully they can be better next year. Ollie Wines, this is probably... A, in some respects, it's his worst year, but he hasn't played that badly. But he's yeah. had the least—he's had the least real impact in games, I think, this year of any season he's had with us so far. Like there haven't been there haven't been a lot of Ollie moments where you go, Ollie wines, yes, you know. Yeah. Um, it's really just been about you know solid, consistent football, and he's mm. just at that stage in his career where he's still learning his craft, I guess. But Boke, um, geez, he's a trier. He does a lot of good things, but again, he was. In peak form two years ago, and he just really needs to get back to that, in my view. Yeah. I thought that was definitely uh, the captain's best game for the year. Um, yeah. As you said, he's had a pretty tough time this year. His stats have actually been okay, but I thought he was moving a lot more freely. Um, he had a lot more space to uh, to win the ball and, and yep. have a bit of a run than he's had sort of all year. Mm. Um, and his skills were fantastic this weekend as well. I thought that was far and away his best game for the year, so... Hopefully it's a sign that he's uh, he's now sort of uh, kicked into gear a little bit. Um, Ollie Wines again, um, you know he's had some decent games this year, but that was on another level from what we've seen. Um, just kept on winning the bowl uh, in the middle and, and dishing it out. He was fantastic and good to see him hit the scoreboard again. And look, it definitely felt like we had a lot more time for every player on the field, and particularly in the second half, I think, and obviously it affected Broken Wines' performance as well. Really, yep. um, when when Brisbane. Oh, Brisbane aren't that good. <laughs> I keep saying it, but Brisbane aren't, aren't really all that good at the moment. They're down. No, very true. Um, next player I want to talk about is Tommy Jonas. How have you seen his uh, season today? 
Uh, he's Tom Jonas. He's he's playing pretty well. Um, I don't know that he's super creative as a defender and in a team that's trying to play a press, maybe there's a limited uh, role for that. But he's doing his job well, I think, at the moment. Um, he's certainly better than he was form was last year, that's for sure. He had that really rough patch. Yep. Um, but yeah, I've got no problem with Jonas in the side right now, for sure. I think he's been our most underrated player for the year. I think he's having a, yeah. a great little season. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, I, I don't disagree with that. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> I, just don't, I, I just don't have anything to add. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. Charlie Dixon kicked uh, kicked five goals. His uh, his first uh, bit of a bag, I guess you'd say. Yeah. Um, is he? Oh, how have you rated his uh, form this year, and how did you rate his game on the weekend? I think that his form this game has was as good as the rest of his form this year. I don't think it was that he had a surprisingly fantastic game. I just think he had an easier time of it. Um, in terms of delivery coming to him. As you said, everyone was more accurate because they had more space in midfield, which makes his job a lot easier. Um, but I think he's had a good season. I think that there's been a lot of crap on the forums, honestly, about, you know, oh, Charlie Dixon's a dud, why did we trade for him? Like, no, no, we always had to trade for Charlie Dixon because his potential is enormous if we have a good side. It's absolutely enormous. Is he a bit of a flat-track bully? Um, I think any key forward is. Um, you know, Matthew Lloyd didn't kick six goals against all the best sides, did he? Uh, <laughs> really? Um, you get your bags against the shit sides and then you still get your two or three against the good ones and that's what makes an excellent key forward at AFL level, realistically. Yeah. Would you like to see him kick more goals uh, through the first half than what he has been? Against terrible sides, yes, because that's when the game is won. But, I mean, in this game, why did he kick two goals in the first half, didn't he? So that's... Mm. You know, that's, I don't have an issue with that. I think that was pretty solid. Helped us win the game. And he had that really good give-off and the Tread Reyes give-off, which I'm just going to keep pinning my hopes on for the rest of the season as far as Dixon's concerned, mm. where he got the ball and pounded off and we got a goal out of it. Yeah. Aaron Young, another three goals. He just keeps on delivering in that Monfries role. Yeah, no, he's doing well. And he's look, he's doing better than Monfries is because he's roving as well. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, Monfries, he's a very specific sort of player, and I think that Monfries has a fantastic role in a team that's playing possession-style football. Um, if he was at somewhere like the Western Bulldogs, for example, I mean, he'd be absolutely invaluable, even more so than he is at Port Adelaide. Um, but Young is playing, certainly he's exactly in theme with the way that the team is playing this year, and that we're sort of bombing along, making a lot of contests. He can be around the place. He's got a lot of space to work in. Um, you think about the attributes he's got, and they all kind of favour him, and he's actually showing that on the field by actually doing the hard work and making it happen. So good on him. I don't think anyone would have anything bad to say about Aaron Young on his performance this year. He's been really solid and pretty versatile. No. As I've said a few times on the podcast now, it's great to see someone whose uh, career was just about on the verge of ending. Uh, for him to come back and play as well as he's played is, uh, is fantastic. You know, it gives hope to, uh, to all the players out there, I reckon. But um, mm. Yeah, and I, don't how, know, I thought that was just about the best game he's played at AFL level on the weekend. Oh, and it wasn't no the doubt. fact that he kicked three goals and, you know, he had a decent amount of the ball, but it was all the little things that he did, you know, the blocks, the shepherds, the, yep. the hard tackles, the little knock-ons, all those sort of things. And that, that was, in my opinion, the most accomplished game he's played. Oh, look, I agree. And that comes into that versatility that I was talking about a minute ago, which is that if you're a forward and you can do a lot of different things, that makes you really hard to match up on, you know? Um, if you're a one-dimensional forward, then they know what they've got to do to beat you, right? Um, but with Young, the fact that he can mark and he can lead and he can rove and he can do all these other little things as well, it's really hard to stop that guy because if he's shutting him down in one aspect, then he'll just change what he's doing. Um, he's been playing really well this year. He should be extremely proud of himself. Yeah. Have you seen the form of O'Shea and Stewart since they came in and, uh, and have manned those sort of back flanks? Um, I think they've been good. I think there was an interesting stat about O'Shea being, you know, the most or third most high velocity player on the field and he's playing a lot of running a lot as well. Um that's useful in a press. And Stuart, I think this last week he was actually, you know, fairly solid defensively. But I think that when you're playing an over overloaded defence, um, if your half back flankers aren't looking like stars, then they must be rubbish. Yeah. Um so I, I don't I'm not convinced that either of them made a massive return to form, which is hard for me to say about Cam O'Shea, but it's hundred percent true. Um, I think that if we do not have so many halfback flankers on the side and weren't relying so heavily on that sort of counter-attack um, and shut down in that area of the field that I I don't know. I guess we'll find out, hopefully, if the coaches go back to the pre-season set up a bit. Um, 
But yeah, they should be happy that they're having a shot and they're doing okay, but I don't think either of them have secured a spot. Yeah. I think we could probably afford to lose one of them. Um, yep. Again, going back to the sort of Carlisle discussion, maybe we can fit Cracker back there uh, full-time. Mm. Um, I guess this was really a case of all played well on the weekend, and I guess it's probably the first time we've been able to say that for quite a long time. Yeah, look, there's no one in that side I'd say, oh, they were terrible, you know. Um, they, they, they all did pretty good, I think. Usually you have one or two players that you know, didn't have their best performance or were a little bit down on the day or didn't get any of the bowl or something like that, but it yeah. literally was the case of everybody did their job. Absolutely. Which yep. is great. Yeah, it's nice. Right, uh, anything else you want to add? Jake Need. Jake, Jake Need. Yeah, controversial player of the year. Um <laughs> It was nice to see him get a bit of space this week, but again, it was more in the second half. I felt that he actually had a bit of opportunity to play his game as opposed to sort of fitting around everyone else's. There's no doubt. There's no doubt that he's a trier, and I think that's a huge part of why he stayed in the side this season. Is that he? You can see every week he's not giving up. He's not, um, you know, tailing off or not not contesting. He's absolutely in it all the time, and it was nice to see him, you know, show he can actually play football for a change. Yeah. I kind of feel like if he hadn't had a good week this week, he probably would have had to be dropped to the SNFL, not because he's not playing well, but because it's been so long since he's had a game where he could get some confidence out of it. Um, yeah. So it's a good week for Jake Need. Um, you know, I'm not the greatest fan of keeping short players on the side when they're struggling with that build, but there's no doubt he's been working hard when other players have been slacking off, so I think you've got to give him some reward for that. Oh, no doubt. You can always say that... Um, uh, but Jake, he always gives 100% out on the field. Mm. And you know his mm. output may struggle sometimes and he may make some silly decisions at times. But yep. you always know that he's giving 100% out on the field and he's always going to be one player that's going to be chasing and you know, harassing Absolutely. and tackling. And he did that again, but also had those sort of Hollywood moments uh, on the weekend as well, which was great. Yeah, I mean, whenever I'm watching a game and I see that you know players aren't chasing or they're not supporting the teammates or whatever else, I mean, it's never Jake Knee that I see doing that. Mm. Never. Never, and that's unusual because I've seen almost every Port player do that at some point. <laughs> and there, Chris Hale said, uh, how good was that little stop and sidestep? And, you know, it was uh, <laughs> almost a mirror image of um, that uh, that sort of similar thing he did against West Coast in his first uh, season, which is just about one of my all-time favourite sort of Port moves where he, he somehow evaded um, a massive hit from Darren Glass and then um, did the, the cheekiest sidestep of all time yep. and I think Monfries ended up kicking a goal which put us in front. Um, yeah, that, that's one of those sort of moments that I'll always remember um, and to see him do it again was just great. Yeah, look, I mean, that's really... He should be doing a lot more than he does. Like, he's the lightest player yeah. in the NFL probably, pretty close to it. Um, you know, he should be every week playing like the car chase where he's on the motorbike being followed by cop cars and he's just too nimble for him, you know, riding through the market, through the chickens in cages and all that sort of stuff. Like, that should be Jake Need every week, really, yeah. playing that sort of role. Um, I guess we never really get to see him up on the wing um, nah. and, and have the chance to have that sort of run and a couple of bounces. We, you know, we, you never really sort of see that. He's always he's almost limited to that sort of forward 60 metres at the ground. Well, there's a reason for that, and that is because he's such a small target when he's on the lead and if his opponent is even vaguely on him, they can spoil him very easily. Yeah. Absolutely. That's that's the main issue. Yeah. Right. Well, let's uh, we'll have a quick chat about the SANFL um, yeah. because it was a good result there as well. Uh, the Maggies delivered their second win for the year, um, beating the Premier's West Adelaide by 27 points, uh, 14 goals, 16 to 10 goals, 13. Uh, Jesse Palmer had a big day out with 23 mm. touches and three goals, which was great to see because he probably hasn't been in the best form this year. Uh, also, Johnny Butcher, Dougal Howard, and Anthony Beeman's kicked two goals each as well. Yeah. Now, Palmer, how would you say is what would you what player that has played for Port Adelaide in the past, or potentially for an opponent, would you say that Palmer plays the most like? Oh, definitely Monfries. I think you reckon. Okay. Yep. Has Monfries had that possession count before? Oh, I would have thought so. Yep. Okay. There you go. Yep. Do you think he's a chance of getting a game sometime soon? I think that depends on Aaron Young, really. Yeah. Because I don't think you can play both Aaron Young and Jesse Palmer because they're both pretty slow. That's probably the big knock on Palmer. And we know that Young is uh, not the quickest guy going around. Mm. Um, so mm. to have two of those sort of players in the one forward line, I don't think would work. Um, so I think it's all up to Aaron Young. If he can keep that form in, uh, that form going, then I, I can't see Palmer getting a game anytime soon. If he does drop in form, uh, then Palmer... 
you know, a, a spot really does sort of open up there, I would think. Yeah, that's fair enough. Okay, cool. I still wouldn't mind seeing uh, how Palmer goes uh, deep in the midfield, sort of right in the guts or even on a back flank, because I reckon um, he'd be pretty well suited to those sort of areas as well. And I know we've got uh, 57 half-back flankers on our list, uh, but I reckon that uh, that position would suit him pretty well as well. Do you think he has the fast, the the, the hand speed and general awareness to play that sort of role? Because um, that's the, the huge smarts. challenge. I think he's got the footy smarts to, to play that sort of role, yeah. And vision as well, because obviously in heavy traffic, you've got to be able to pick out you know little fragments of players running forward. I think so, yep. Yeah, okay. I've been impressed whenever I've seen him play, those sort of... Um, Bits he does in, in packs or at the bottom, you know, getting tackled, those sort of things uh, he's yeah. usually pretty good at. Okay, interesting. Mm. Mm. Uh, Johnny Butcher, he's been in pretty consistent form, you got to say, this year. He just keeps uh, playing well week in, week out, which is great. He had 15 touches, six marks, uh, and kicked two goals as well. And, um, you know, he just keeps putting his name up for selection, I think. And whether he's going to get a game or not, I'm not too sure. But uh, he's doing everything right at the moment. Yeah, John Butcher is again the sort of the the lightning rod of what the team is doing um, because he's either not doing something that coaches want him to do at SNFL level, yeah. or the fact that he hasn't played is a sign that the coaches have given up on that preseason model of two key forwards. Mm. Um, he absolutely should have been in the last couple of weeks if we were keen on sticking to that. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he hasn't been, he he must be not doing something that the coaches want him to do, or we've given up on that. And we'll, well see in the, the next same story, weeks. isn't it? As uh, as I guess 2014, where he played the first week or the first two weeks, and then got dropped, and that was it. Yeah. Um, yep. And uh, good old El Scorcho went bananas uh, from all season <laughs> on the forum. Uh, I guess it's that that same story. He probably should have played at least one game in the last few weeks, but yeah, um, hasn't. Um, I'm not sure of the reason why, because he has been playing pretty consistent footy in there, saying NFL, which is something that you. Probably weren't able to say a couple of years ago. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll see Johnny Butcher get a game at some point this year. Yeah, and it might even be that we just play him differently to how we have in the past as well. Like, I, I personally feel there's room for Butcher in the side, not with Schultz in, but there's room for Butcher in the side to play more centre-half forward than full forward. Um, I think that one of the areas we've been exposed in the past is just securing that position um, on the forward side of the um, center square, when we're going, when we're doing the counter attack, um, and he's got, he's still got pretty good hands. I wouldn't mind seeing him sort of roving in that area, and then have Charlie Dixon playing a bit closer to goal. Um, I think there's a potential for that, but I, I guess we'll see. Yeah. Uh, Kay Mitchell had another 32 touches, uh, five clearances, kicked a goal as well. Uh, so again, he's uh, he's had a ripper year in the SANFL. The mm. fact that he hasn't been able to get a game the last uh, two or three weeks when we've uh, had a, a pretty heavy injury list, have we seen the last of Kay Mitchell at AFL level? Um, I think we might have. It really depends on how our rest of our season goes. Like if we get into finals or something and we have a, a late injury to a you know, forward midfielder, then he might get a run uh, yeah. just because we'd want that experience coming into the side. But I don't think he... I don't think we've seen that we need him in the side at this point, honestly. Yeah. I think it shows that the players on the senior list are, are doing their job and Hopefully. creating enough sort of depth and enough form in the SNFL to uh, to make Kane Mitchell a little bit redundant at the moment. Well, I mean, you could argue he already kind of was. Um, you know, if you've got this many pacey guys on the side and he's not getting a game, I mean, on the depth chart, he's in a position on our depth chart that doesn't exist at other clubs. You know, you've got 15th, 16th. Flanker type, yep. um, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, whatever down the bottom is there. Um, and we've got a lot of them. So, yeah, it's just not quite there. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Uh, any other players you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. Okay. No, no, I think we're good. That's all good. Uh, did you see any other games across the weekend? Um, pretty much just the Adelaide Bulldogs one, which was pretty entertaining, actually. Um it's good seeing these ideologies go head to head. It's much more exciting than you know watching the same teams play over and over. But apart from that, no, not really. Mm. No, no, wasn't a very interesting round of matches. I don't think. No, not really. I mean, I guess Hawthorne Richmond that was expected. Uh, Carlton doing the job over Collingwood. I didn't expect that. I thought Collingwood would uh, end their rut, but uh, I guess not. And look, I think Carlton have won three games on the trot now. Yeah? So 
Uh, they've come into a, a little bit of form at probably the wrong sort of time for us. Yeah, and and I guess the the one for this week is probably Gold Coast being so terrible. They're, they're just they're just yeah. really bad. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, I didn't really catch much of that game. I, I saw the score sort of uh, around about quarter time and saw that Gold Coast were a decent amount in front. And I thought, oh well, that's that's pretty good for them. And then they lost by eighty seven seventy three points or something. So. Yeah, bit of a bit of a strange one that, and I'm not sure where that sort of leaves them or leaves uh, Rodney Ede, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I personally think that Rodney Ede was a pretty odd choice for that coaching role, anyway, because the last time he was really had a relevant strategy that was working at AFL levels was in 1996. Um, really, that's probably harsh, but 20 years on, I don't think he's changed what he does or how he approaches the game all that much, even though he's had other jobs since then. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing, I suppose, is that. Gold Coast sort of being that pioneering one for those two incoming teams of them and GWS. Like Gold Coast implemented a strategy in terms of the list management and then GWS looked at it and said, oh, what if we do that but more and went even more yeah. heavily on, you know, draft picks and all that sort of thing. And I think they had slightly yeah. better concessions as well. And yeah, so it's showing dividends for them, um, yeah. coupling that with the idea that, with the fact that it's really hard to have a Gold Coast side that focuses on the sport as well. Yeah. Um, I think G- GWS lucked into a better draft pool when they came as well. As well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whilst Gold Coast weren't bad, uh, I don't think a lot of those sort of players have really become uh, the players that they were expected to be, looking at guys like Sam Day and Brandon Matera uh, as a couple of examples. Yeah. And, um, and look, I mean, they do have a heavy injury list, and that often doesn't help. And they, they have had a heavy injury list for a couple of years now. So. Not sure if their fitness guys doing the right job or if it's just bad luck or, or what's going on there. But um, yeah, I don't think Rodney Eads really had um, the tools in the shed to be able to do what he has done at uh, a couple of other clubs. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess a part of it, like you always talk about clubs that have got horrible injury lists, and it's not surprising. Oh, it's it's hard to say that you know it's causation, but when players and squads have a terrible training ethic that tends to be when there's a lot of injuries to the squad as well. Yep. It always seems to go hand in hand. Um, so, yeah, that, that, in my view, that's pretty much always the case. Well, that's why he was brought in to bring about that sort of paradigm shift in, in their culture because it was a bit of a poor culture. I don't think anybody has a good word to say about Guy McKenna. Um, nah, no. Who, who's been at, uh, uh, who, who sort of uh, played under him. So, um, and it was all about sort of changing that culture and, and bringing about a harder training regime and, and, you know, playing a little bit harder. And I guess with that has brought about those injuries, as you said. Um, I guess the other thing to talk about, which a lot of people have sort of mentioned on uh, on the chat room, mm. what the hell was your meltdown about on uh, Saturday night? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. I was just trying to entertain Bigfooty pretty much. <laughs> I had a multi bet on, and the leg was that I had the Crows 13 or 12.5 points in, so they had to either win or lose by less than, you know, 12.5 points. And, of course, the game was constantly hovering around that mark for, like, the second half pretty much. Yeah. Um, so I just thought it would be fun to overreact. And it's like I, it's like I said on the thread as well, um, that, you know, betting for Adelaide is, like, the best thing you can do if you hate the Adelaide Crows because if they win, you've got the compensation that, you know, you win. And if they lose, it just means you can absolutely go to town because not only do you dislike the crows, but you don't. You can be merciless in a way that you can't be about your own team. <laughs> you can just and you can just absolutely be like, ah, oh, I hate you. You're all scum, da da da, and just you know completely lose your lid. And it's really cathartic to do that when it's the crows as well. So, yeah. um, absolutely, bet on the crows most weeks. Um, put them in your multis just because if it does go wrong because of them, it's it's all their fault. Yeah. It's great. Love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, I guess that's it for tonight. Yeah. I guess we I should so. speak about the uh, competition we're running because there's one week left uh, mm. for somebody to win the two locker room tickets for the West Coast game. Yep. Um, all you have to do is uh, go onto iTunes, search for Port Fan Radio, give us a five-star review, um, and you will go into the draw uh, to win those two locker room tickets to the West Coast game. That's a pretty good deal, and you can write something Easy really funny it. as well. Do you, you actually read the reviews, though? Oh, I, I have. Haven't read the I reviews. have. Oh, you have you? Okay, good. Yeah. Excellent. You should quote some next uh, on the preview. You know, give us a couple of examples of ones that you thought were pretty good. Yeah, I can do that. Excellent. Absolutely. Um, there's just one other conversation that's happened on the port boards today, which is 
I personally have a very strong memory of this, but people saying go ports, can ports with the S on the end. Yep. Like, I, I remember that since forever. Do you? Yeah, yeah well, I get it from my grandfather. He, uh, yeah, right? He always says, yeah. you know, Wests or Sturts or Ports. Yeah, Wests, you know? that's the other one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Wests is the big one. Never, yeah. I've never heard Norths, though, or Souths. Yeah. Oh, Souths I have, but not Norths. Must have been something that uh, went out of fashion sort of in the 60s and 70s and... Yeah, come back. Yeah. Go ports. Well, it's probably it. one of those. It's probably one of those things where the mascots were never a big deal for a long time. I think that's part of the the mascot dependency. Sort of came along with a bit more American influence in Australia. Yeah. Um. You know, because over there, like every game is like Bears at Patriots, that sort of yeah, thing. That's right. Yeah. Different focus. Indeed. All yeah. right. Well, it's been great, Portia. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, that was really fun. Excellent. And we will speak again uh, for the preview. Of the Carlton game on Thursday night. You ripper. It'll be good. No worries. Okay. All right. Until then, can ports. Can ports. 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 Carlisle <laughs> sends it long. Modlock just on and takes the mark. He can give Port Adelaide the lead. Hamstring hurt. Plays on. Sends it high. Goal square. Long. McVay gets back. Port Adelaide in front. The magic man. Of all people, he had to be...